Hi, this is Eking Reyes, and you're on The Inspiring Leader. It's a podcast where we talk about things and stuff about life, love, and learning. Our guest for this episode is Mr. Lawrence Chong. He's a distinguished fellow at the Washington Institute for Business and group CEO for the global innovation consultancy, Consulus Global. Lawrence, thank you very much for joining the podcast. It's good to be here. So you co-founded Consulus back in 2004 with the goal of gathering a circle of leaders to help companies succeed globally. What were the key milestones the organization has reached leading up to today? Well, um, I, I don't think we ever imagined that we could uh, come this far and, and go really to the ends of the earth, so to say. We are in Brazil today. We are in the US. Uh, we are in you know, very exciting places where we have met a lot of like-minded individuals, uh, leaders who also believe in shaping a better world through work. So uh, I, I think one of the most significant things for me is to be able to meet uh, that so many people who believe in the same goals and values. Uh, and I think that's one, right? To be able to uh, come from a place like Singapore uh, and to find this uh, global movement uh, of uh, leaders who, who share in this. So I think that is one of the most important uh, milestones this, to be in touch with this humanity. I think the second uh, important milestone is that when, when we started the company, we had this crazy idea that um, consulting can be a force for good and consulting uh, can change the world. And, and I still remember one senior partner of another firm, right? He, he said to me that, you know, uh, consultancy is not meant to be uh, like the priesthood. You know, you, you, don't, you don't talk about changing the world then, right? This is like 17, 18 years ago. Um, but I insisted that this is what we will try to do. We don't know whether we will survive, but this is our attempt at um, making a difference every day at work. So I, I think now to see that people have this constant talk about ESG, the importance of inclusion, um, the necessity to to do everything we can to impact a better world, a better economy, a better planet. Uh, it's, it's really encouraging to us because, like I said, at the beginning, we didn't know that uh, people actually buy into that uh, belief and that narrative, and, and they do. And I think the third milestone is that I think over, at, at the very beginning when, when we started in terms of our methodology, uh, one, one of the things we paid a lot of attention was uh, the importance of purpose in shaping strategy. And I think a lot of times when people talk about this idea of purpose, you know, they think it's like, I don't know, pseudoscience to art and it's not really relevant. Um, but we, we felt that we have to go down that path of being purpose-driven. And we made a lot of effort to use data, uh, a very uh, specific methodical frameworks in order to assess the presence of purpose, in order to assess the ability of purpose to drive strategy and change. And I think that investment of time to really look at the data and study how purpose impacts organizations and, and people has paid off in a big way. So uh, I would say that that is the next significant milestone that, that you know, we have uh, seen and witnessed over the years, uh, right? So I think, if you were to ask me to summarize this idea of 
from the beginning, we didn't know that uh, there are so many people who share the same values. Uh, the second thing, uh, which is uh, this idea of um, this desire for a more purposeful and, and impactful economy. And then the third, of course, the methodology of, of purpose that, that we have now applied in 16 other countries. In an interview published by a New City magazine of Hong Kong back in 2015, it was actually mentioned that Consulus is an economy of communion company. What does it entail to be an economy of communion organization? And how do you think it is relevant in today's time? In 1991, this uh, lady, her name is Carol Lubick. Uh, she was a winner of the UNESCO uh, Peace Prize for Education. Uh, she thought of uh, this crazy idea that more than philanthropy, what if companies can become uh, homes of communion? And what she meant is that what if, what if a business is more than just about profit? It's more about making money, right? It can be a place where people feel welcome, a kind of a mini united world. And, and in this spirit, how can it also care for the least and for the poor, right? So it's a mix of two things. It's a conversion of the idea of an enterprise, not for profit, but for purpose. And what is the purpose? The purpose is love of neighbor. So um, I was very young when I first heard of that idea. I, I mean, I first heard of it when I was 14 in Rome at a conference in, in 1992. And I was always taken up by the idea. So eventually when I founded my own enterprise, I told this to my partners, one Muslim, one Buddhist, one uh, Methodist, I'm a Catholic, and said that, you know, uh, why don't we try it out and, and see how we can change? And, and, and that was one of the first things that inspired us. And turns out that particularly, I mean, we started in Asia. Asia is a, is a region that is, I would say, uh, very focused on making money, right? But what we found is that when we started to truthfully and sincerely try to not just produce results for companies that we serve, but also to inspire them, to be more aware of the environment, whether it's a corporation or whether it's a, as a community. Um, people felt that this approach, which is combines purpose and the idea of communion, as Kiara Lubick would call it, right? This home of welcome, this, this base around the rule of, of love of neighbor, uh, uh, makes a huge difference uh, to an enterprise growth and innovation. So in Consulus, how we apply the economy of communion is this, we understood that in the consulting world, it's not enough uh, to, to adopt the existing consulting practices, which is either maximization of value or reduction of cost. Uh, that's by and large the classic consulting model. So we decided that if we really want to bring about many enterprises of purpose and of communion, then we have to change the whole uh, entire construct and thinking of, of, of what constitutes an enterprise, which is, which is why we had to implement an entire new methodology to inculcate purpose and unity and how purpose and unity impacts sustainable growth, right? So that is the first uh, way in which we implement the economy of communion. Then the second thing we try to do is most consultancies as they grow, their fees become more and more expensive. So, but it's, 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 it's an inevitable uh, system, right? Because you have more partners, you have to pay them more. So we decided to go towards a network model so that we, we can always maintain a certain price point to serve social enterprises, the smallest companies, while we are still serving governments, large multinationals. So the second approach is, is what we call the one-third, one-third rule, which is 
uh, we charge the regular fees to the large companies and we use that the fees that we make from that in order to work on subsidized rates uh, for projects of purpose. So like some projects that excite us very much that you talk about helping migrant workers, uh, working with uh, ex-offenders, you know, we, we are very uh, happy to work on those kind of projects, but they are very heavily subsidized rates or an enterprise in need where we can give uh, um, sort of like a subsidized, a very, very highly subsidized uh, advisory, but we still keep to the integrity of our work. And then the third aspect in which we implement the economy of convenience is that we have platforms of influence. So we, for example, we are one of the principal uh, founders, uh, founding member of the economy of convenience Asia Pacific in order to spread the ideas of the EOC in the Asia Pacific. We, uh, you mentioned the Washington Institute. I'm very involved with the Washington Institute to, to try to advance those ideas of inclusive economy and things like that. So at, at three levels, in terms of uh, new thinking for the EOC, uh, having a business model that allows us to still serve enterprises in need uh, while doing great work. And of course, the third part is what we call platforms of influence. That's how we, we see uh, the practice of the economy of community at a systemic level. So it's not just giving money uh, to those in need but it's really implementing change at, at the global and systemic level. I'm deeply amazed with the prolific volunteer work that you have done, particularly with religious and interfaith groups. So when did this become an innate interest for you? When I was young, I mean, Singapore is, is quite blessed. Um, um, it's a fairly harmonious society um, and religions uh, and government and community get along. But when I was young, I was invited to go for an interfaith forum in Southeast Asia. And when I went there in Indonesia, I, it opened my eyes that in many parts of the world, inter-religious harmony is not a given. Uh, there are serious conflicts, uh, deep-seated hatred. And unless you do something about it uh, in terms of building communities that understand each other, put in place policies that support the development of those communities, making sure that governments, enterprises, and, and everyone across society is part of that um, plan in order to nurture interfaith and intercultural understanding, uh, it, it will not happen. So I, I was totally taken uh, uh, aback uh, by this reality. And at the same time, I was totally inspired by many interfaith activists I met uh, throughout Asia Pacific, right? And, 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 I, and I felt that it is a piece of work that I very much want to contribute to because while people often talk about, you know, we, we are very clear about the climate change crisis, the healthcare uh, crisis. Actually, we have another crisis uh, that, that, you know, is still affecting us worldwide, which is the, the crisis of dialogue. That now, especially, you can call it the work culture or whatever it is, people are not willing to talk to one another, especially to talk to another person who is from another tribe or another community or another race or another religion. Right? So I, I think um, this is so important if we want to ensure uh, sustainability as a human race, the ability to dialogue and cross the aisle and talk to someone who is different from you. And so that's what Interfaith has taught me. We don't share, we may not share the same uh, um, set of uh, belief systems but we can definitely share the same humanity by seeing the other person as our brother or ancestor 
and, and to be able to have a conversation right, as a human person. So I think that, is the, that's, that, that work in, in interfaith uh, really excites me and inspires me uh, very much. I've actually looked you up on Instagram and I see that you have a wonderful family that supports your work. Natalia, your daughter, will be turning six soon. What are the values you want to teach her to help her navigate this ever-evolving world? Well, I, I would say Natalia grows up in a very fortunate uh, you know, environment, very caring. So what I, I try to do is that even at this young age, I explain to her about the work that I do, the work that my wife does, because my wife volunteers as well. And to say why it matters, to say why it matters to give time and why it matters to, 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 to give time, especially to the issues that, that matter not only to us, but matter to the world. So she, she starts to get uh, an understanding. So the other day, uh, the school asked, uh, okay, uh, kids, you got to go back home and ask your parents uh, the kind of work that uh, your parents do. And so she came back and she asked, Dad, what do you do, right? And I asked her back. I said, that, what do you think I do? And she said, okay, Daddy, I think you help poor people. Uh, you want to uh, make uh, uh, people uh, happy, right? So I, I was very uh, happy with, with her response because in, 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 her, in her own way, she sort of understood the, the passion that drives uh, the work that I do, right? Uh, of course, she's not able to say, you know, in the space of business transformation and everything, but she said the most important thing, which is to be able to impact, right, uh, uh, and, and change the world, right, especially to help uh, those people we, we, we care for the most. So I think that, that is the kind of uh, way we try to engage with Natalia to, to let her in into the world that exists truly around us so that she's not in a bubble. And she doesn't think that, you know, you know, everywhere things are just nicely prepared. Uh, life is that straightforward. It's not straightforward. And we all need to do our part every single day to make this planet a better place. Yeah. I've read several wonderful quotes you have churned out through the years. Is there a process that you follow in crafting these gems? Uh, what, I, what I try to do is that when I was growing up, I, I received a lot of wisdom from a lot of friends, uh, you know, who accompanied me and helped me grow. And I often um, thought about, you know, how important it is to pass those um, understanding and those, those wisdom on because those words uh, help me. So I, what I try to do, especially on LinkedIn, is this, before I write something, right, I, I try to think, how can this be helpful to someone out there? I don't know who is reading them. Uh, um, that, you know, it could be helpful to them in their life, in their situation, because I went through a certain situation myself. Uh, I went through failures, I, I went through disappointments, you know, and, and I think sometimes uh, you really do not know when this is really the, uh, the best advice somebody has, has, has given you, right, in an unexpected way. So I, how I try to prepare myself before I write it, I think about another person out there who might find this useful, and then, you know, I, I craft it based on the experience of the week uh, or something that I've encountered in order to pa pass it on. My favorite there is helping people discover their uniqueness and become who they are meant to be is the best work that we can do. Yeah, so that, this, this really happened to me. Uh, when, you know, in, in the Singapore society is a very, uh, it's a society of success. So you have to be successful, right? You have to be great at what you do. At a young age, you are like 
thought. I mean, of course, now Singapore is a much better place. But at that time when I was growing up, you know, if you're not successful, you're nobody, right? And I and I remember I, I met these friends um, and, and, and they come from this uh, group, uh, this movement that this Karen Lubick founded. And one day, uh, one of these youth leaders, you know, he just said to me, oh, you know, Lawrence, you, you are really blessed, you know, and remember to, to smile uh, because, you know, you are truly blessed. And I just, I thought that was strange. You know, why did he say that to me? Then I realized he noticed that I wasn't very happy with myself. I was always trying to be a better version of myself. But in truth, I'm already the best possible version of myself now. I, I don't need a future state, right? And in doing so, what he just said to me was, he helped me appreciate my uniqueness. And because I was more confident of my, of my uniqueness, I was best able to be, con to be aware, situationally aware of my gifts and to harness them. Right. So I, that, that sort of really changed my life. And, and I felt that every single time when I, I, I try my best to advise young people, sometimes people write to me, they ask me for advice and, and I always try to listen to them. And I, and all the time I always ask, uh, what do they believe in? You know, what, what really, you know, gets them excited, what have they been doing about it in trying to listen to them. And more often than not, I discover that actually people, already have a unique uh, self. But because they are not so confident of their unique self, they try all sorts of things <laughs> to, to run away from their unique self, right? They don't get anywhere. And, and when, um, uh, when they do, right, they, 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 they amplify their ability to influence and, and they become a magnet to, to, to shape the world around them. I have this friend who is um, um, always trying to be someone else. And one day, you know, he, he kept coming to me, what should I do in my life? You know, what should I do in my life? You know, how can I be successful? And I said that, well, what if uh, success is really right in front of you? And that path is quite clear, but you, you're not walking on it simply because you discount it, right? And my question to him is, are you discounting it? And as, and as we talk through all his life journey and everything, he starts to realize that he's more of a creative person rather than a financial person, right? So after he decided to follow his creative path, he made it, he became more successful, he managed to do well, he managed to go ahead in his life. And so there are so many other examples of, of that belief in the unique self, right? And, and that's exactly what has happened to me. And, and I always believe that, that that is the most reliable way to find your own path in this world. Lawrence, I'd like to thank you for joining the podcast. I've used up my five questions. But before I end, I'd like you to share with us a few more words of encouragement for all the listeners out there who would like to make their own mark in the world. I think what has helped me uh, all the time is to, uh, to be able to remember or to be, great, to be able to remember the moments you are grateful for and to keep those moments in your heart and in your mind. So that in down times, you have a uh, certain moments to recall and you go like hey actually life is not that bad <laughs> there was this particular moment where you know i i felt love or i felt i understood what success means right or i understood what is uh, the most precious thing for me so i think if you can remember the reason why you why you exist uh, why you love and you are best able to capture that in terms of a person a situation, right? And hold it in your heart. 
and you remind yourself, you check yourself by those most essential moments of life beyond money, right? Um, then that helps you when the going gets tough, right? And, and that helps you uh, in a way to always find yourself again. Because truth be told is that everyone knows when we are at our very best or, or when we are not truly uh, ourselves, because we are intimidated by the environment, we are afraid that people will judge us, right? So the, the, the more honest we are with our, with our true self, the better it is for us to eventually arrive uh, at our future best state, right? So I think um, that that is something that has always worked for me. That you know, when I'm a little bit confused, I'm a little bit lost, and I go back. Hey, you know what? That that is the moment that I want to be at. That's the state I want to be at, and then I can go forward. That's it for today. Let me know what you think. Send in some questions and perhaps share this episode with people you know who might be interested to listen. Till the next episode. Cheers! Thank you.